0: Welcome to Out of Zion with Susan Michael, an exploration of the Bible and the land of Israel. From ancient biblical sites to the story behind the stories, join Susan on a journey through the most exciting book on the planet. Hit the subscribe button for future episodes, which will deepen your faith and bring the Bible to life. And now, here's our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there, and welcome to the 3D Jesus, part six. This week, we're gonna be talking about the last week of Jesus's life, which was spent in Jerusalem. Now, before we get into the heart of our story, I want to explain that um, Jesus was in an area called Perea, which is right east of the Jordan River. And he had been staying there when he heard from his friends Uh, Martha and Mary, that Lazarus uh, was ill and was dying. And so he comes back to the region of Judea, to Bethany where they lived, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now this really stirred up the Sadducees in Jerusalem, and the the Sanhedrin decided at that point uh, that they needed to get rid of Jesus. Now, Jesus knows it's very dangerous. And so He leaves Judea and He goes to a city called Ephraim. And He stays there until it's time for the Passover. And so six days before Passover, He returns to Bethany. Now, at this time, everyone is making their way to Jerusalem for Passover. Literally 100,000 people are making their way to Jerusalem for Passover. There's not enough room in any inns or homes to house all of these people. And so many of them camp out around outside of the city walls uh, of Jerusalem. And so because the Galileans approach the city of Jerusalem from the east when they're walking down from the Galilee, down the Jordan Valley, then they come up to Jerusalem from the east. So they would camp out on the Mount of Olives. If you were coming from the western part or from a road that came in from the western part, then you camped out elsewhere. But it just so happens that the Galileans hung out on what's called the Mount of Olives. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Now in Bethany, Bethany was on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So you have Bethany over here on the east and then the Mount of Olives. And then a deep valley called the Kidron Valley, and it comes up to the Temple Mount and to the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus was very close to Jerusalem, but he was able to stay with his friends in Bethany instead of camping out on the Mount of Olives. So let's begin our story now. It's Sunday uh, before uh, Passover, and we have what's called the triumphal entry. And this is when the people begin declaring. Um, they're hailing Jesus as king using Psalm 118 and uh, proclaiming him as king by saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is something that the subjects would say to their king, O king, save us. Um, be good to us, protect us and help us. <coughs> Excuse me. So as he sees Jerusalem now, he's coming up the Mount of Olives, and one of the there's another little town that he probably went through uh, to get to the top of the Mount of Olives, and that's called Bethpage, and it it is likely there that he said to go to the owner of the colt and say that my master has need of it, and so he was riding on a donkey, and now he comes up to the top of the Mount of Olives. The people are proclaiming him uh, as king, and he looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. Such a moving moment. Um, He prophesies over the city that destruction is coming, and he weeps over it. Then he goes on down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, up to the Temple Mount. But it is late in the day by now, and um, so he then returns to Bethany for the evening. The next day, which would be Monday, he makes that trek again over the Mount of Olives and down and back up to the temple. That's when uh, it's believed that he overturned the money changers' tables. And this is an interesting story because uh, in order to do your sacrifice at the temple, you had to bring uh, an animal with you for the sacrifice. And if you're traveling for days from other parts of the country, that's quite hard. So they actually sold the animals to you there. And then in order to pay your taxes and to pay your alms and your obligations, you couldn't use a Roman coin that had the image on it of Caesar. You had to have a coin without any images on it. So they would change money for you and give you what was acceptable in the temple for your money. And, of course, it was a high interest rate. It was all a very, very big business um, that um, helped upkeep the temple. But more than that, when you saw how that the high priest and the priests were aristocrats, and that's when Jesus overturned the tables. Uh, That night, he goes back to Bethany. The next day is Tuesday. He goes back to Jerusalem. So I just want you to get the feeling of the geography here of walking from Bethany up the Mount of Olives, seeing this amazing panoramic view of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. It is very moving. It's very moving every time. But then he would descend down the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley and into the temple area of Jerusalem. Now on Tuesday, he's back in Jerusalem and he enters into a number of debates with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's very interesting that a couple of times on this day, he alludes to Psalm 118, and this is the Psalm that the people were quoting when they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Psalm 118 also goes on to talk about the day that uh, they rejected the chief cornerstone. And so he refers to this to the Pharisees um, that they're rejecting the chief cornerstone, which they knew came right out of Psalm 118. Um, At another point, it seems that on this day—and I think this probably took place from the Mount of Olives looking out over Jerusalem—he says to Jerusalem, he says, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch haba Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Once again, from Psalm 118. And so the people had been praising him and proclaiming to him, but he said, Jerusalem, you won't see me again. Of course, Jerusalem personifying the Jewish people. You won't see me again until you welcome me also as your king." Um, On this day, it seems that uh, as they were leaving the temple area, the disciples uh, turned around and looked at the, the temple and they said to Jesus, you know, look at this magnificent building. And as I explained to you in a previous episode, uh, Herod the Great was the most amazing builder, probably, of the entire Roman Empire. So this temple was a, a world wonder. It broke world records. And so they're saying, isn't this amazing? Isn't this beautiful? Look how big it is. And Jesus then prophesies its destruction. Um, back on the Mount of Olives, they also have the uh, Olivet Discourse. So they ask Jesus— Uh, what are going to be the signs of your coming, and uh, he has a long uh, talk here about future events, judgment that's coming to the city of Jerusalem, and then also talks about end times and before uh, his return. Um, We don't know where he goes that night, but I have to assume he goes back to Bethany. The next day is Wednesday, and this is the day that he tells his disciples to prepare for the Passover. Now, I want to make a few remarks here about the Passover and the Passover meal that they're going to partake of that day. Three of the Gospels say that Jesus' Passover meal was on Passover, But John says that the meal was on the day before Passover. And when you look at the chronology of this week and everything that took place, it gets quite confusing because if you go by the uh, chronology that Jesus had his Passover dinner on Thursday night, which is the night before Passover— then that means that we had to squeeze a lot of events into a 24 hour period. We first, he's the Passover meal. Then the arrest, and he goes to Caiaphas, and he's sent to Annas, the previous high priest, and he sends him back to Caiaphas. Then Caiaphas sends him to Pilate, and then Pilate sends him to Herod Antipas, and Herod sends him back to Pilate. Then Pilate tries to offer Jesus versus Barabbas, and the crowd chooses Barabbas. So then Jesus is flogged, and then by 9 a.m., he's crucified that is a lot to squeeze in to just a few hours. And so let's look at the other three Gospels that say that his Passover meal was on Passover. Well, we know Passover was on Friday. Jesus died when the Passover lambs were being slain in the temple. And that night was the Passover meal. And that's why the chief priest would not enter into the court of the Roman officials because it would have made them unclean for the Passover. So we know that the Passover was Friday night and went into the Sabbath on Saturday. So what do we do here? Actually, there's a pretty simple explanation. There were two different calendars in operation at that time in history. We had the temple calendar, which was a lunar calendar that was the mainstream calendar of the Jewish people. So the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the temple, all observed the lunar calendar. And according to the lunar calendar, that year, which we assume is around about 30 AD, 30 AD, Passover began on Friday night. But there was another calendar in operation, and it was the calendar of the Essenes. If you remember from previous talks, the Essenes had broken off from the temple. They thought that the temple was corrupted, And they felt that their calendar was actually the more pure calendar from the Old Testament days. It was a solar calendar. And according to the Essene calendar in 30 A.D., Passover was on Wednesday. This solves everything. Now, you might be asking, why would Jesus... um, Observe the Passover on that calendar and not that one. And I'll come to that in just a minute. But I do want to add that the early church fathers and the early church teachings referred to the passion of Jesus as being three days and the Passover being on Wednesday. So this is something that um, it, now it all makes sense when we know about this second calendar. Now, um, so why did he observe the Essene Passover? Not because he was totally Essene, but um, when he stayed in Bethany, it seems like Bethany may have been an Essene village. And so when you're staying with people, you're going to observe what they're observing. Secondly, when Jesus gave the instructions to his disciples and he said, I want you to go prepare for the Passover, go into Jerusalem and find a man that has a water jar and uh, follow him and then say, my master has need of the room. You know the story. Well, it's what's very, very odd about this story is why would a man be carrying a water jar and going to take water, probably from the Pool of Siloam? that's a job for women. And the explanation is um, either you are a, a widower or you are an Essene and you're not married. You're either a former priest um, and you joined this Essene movement or you are just an Essene man that made a vow of celibacy. And so when he tells him to find this man, getting water and go with him, um, it's pretty accepted that he was probably an Essene and that they went to the quarter of Jerusalem, which is called the Essene quarter. And there's actually the, the gate through the old city, through the walls of the city of Jerusalem, there was the Essene gate because it went into the Essene area of Jerusalem. And it's believed that that's where the upper room was. Now, why? Well, like I say, when you're around people that are observing this calendar, and it could be uh, that Jesus's family had connections there, you know, I don't know, but also Jesus knew that uh, his arrest was pending. And so I think he did it for convenience that he could have a meal with his disciples, uh, knowing that his time was very short. Now, I just want to make clear here, because last week I talked about the influence of the Pharisees, um, the influence of the Essenes. Jesus was not sectarian. So Jesus would not have claimed to be an Essene, nor would have he claimed to be a Pharisee. Um, he agreed with both of those groups on many points, but he also disagreed with them. And he weaved in and out of both factions. So now, moving ahead to the story, it's time for the Passover. Every Jew before they had their Passover meal had to be uh, ritually clean, so they would have had to do a ritual bath. And um, there was a ritual bath in Bethany, and today um, uh, that—it's called a mikveh in Hebrew. And um, it's what baptism came from, um, is the ritual purity bath. And so there is one in Bethany, and it has old Christian graffiti on it from many, many, many years ago. And there is a Christian—I believe it's a convent there. And so that seems to indicate a long-term Christian um, reverence for this place, as though uh, tradition has it that maybe Jesus used that ritual bath. We don't know, um, but tradition is pretty strong in some of these cases. But for sure, to enter the area of town where the Essenes were, You had to be pure. You would have had to have that ritual bath. And um, so we can be pretty—we can be sure that Jesus did that, and then they went um, for the meal. Now, in the Scriptures, when it describes the Passover meal that Jesus has with His disciples, it never mentions lamb whereas the paschal lamb was a part of the Passover meal. So you would take your lamb that you had purchased or you had raised, and you knew that it was blemish-free, and you would take it to the temple, and they would sacrifice it there but they would give the meat back to you so that then you would go and um, roast that meat and you would have it for your meal. And um, how could that happen? Because on Wednesday night, there were no lambs being sacrificed yet. But also, the Essenes did not sacrifice lambs because they wouldn't have anything to do with the temple and the temple sacrifices so Jesus's passover on Wednesday night has no mention of lamb just an interesting little tidbit they did have unleavened bread they would have had the bitter herbs and they had the wine and it was the cup after dinner that Jesus raised and said this is my blood that is shed Uh, for you. It says that at the end of the Passover meal that they sang hymns. Well, this was a standard part of the Passover meal. They would sing the hymns. It's called the Great Hallel, and it's Psalms 113 to 118, followed by Psalm 136, and then they left. And so they would have descended down the hill because when they when they went to the Essene quarter and they went through the Essene gate to get to that area. Now, let me back up and make a point here. When Jesus left Bethany that day, they went back up the Mount of Olives. They went back down the Mount of Olives. And then they followed the Kidron Valley till it hits the Hinnom Valley and took that, stayed on the outside of the city walls more than likely because Jesus didn't want to be seen. And so that's why we think he stayed on the outside of the city walls around until they got to the Essene Gate, went in and went up the hill uh, to what we call the upper room where the uh, Passover meal would have been eaten. So now the Passover meal is done. So now they go back down the hill through the valley. But now it's late. And uh, for whatever reason, he doesn't go back to Bethany. Instead, he goes to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives is called the Mount of Olives. Because it was full of olive trees, it was an olive grove, and in the olive grove was an olive press, a get shemen. So that has become Gethsemane. It means the olive press. Usually, an olive press is in a cave, so that it protects the the wood um, in the press. And uh, the olives are pressed. There's a a way of doing it, and they're pressed three times to get uh, the very best oil and then the not-so-good oil and the kind of oil that you, you use, the different types of oil for different purposes. It's here. Jesus probably went into a cave where there was this olive press and that's where he prayed. And it's interesting, isn't it, that he went back to his disciples and then he went back to prayer. He prayed three times at the olive press until blood. He sweated blood. You can't make this up, but unless you know the Hebrew and you know the setting, you don't get the richness of the stories. Now, it's on the Mount of Olives where then the, um, the temple guards come to arrest Jesus. They arrest him, and they take him to Caiaphas' house. This means that from the Mount of Olives, they go back down to the Kidron Valley and back around and up the hill, past the upper room to what's called the upper city And um, that's where the aristocrats and where the uh, chief priest lived. Now, um, this is very unusual to be taken to the home of the high priest. Um, It's not normal. Uh, The Sanhedrin, which is 72 people, could not have all fit in his home. I mean, I'm sure he had a huge, beautiful home. Um, But more than likely, those that were meeting in his home were what would be considered like the Council of Elders or the Executive Council, which more than likely was made up of the family of Caiaphas because his father-in-law had been the high priest before him, and it was kind of a family monopoly, and they made up the rulers of the Sanhedrin. So it was those rulers that gathered here uh, with, Jeru- with Jesus in the home of Caiaphas. Now today, when you go to Jerusalem, there is a church built over an aristocratic home in that area. And uh, it's very highly likely that this is Caiaphas's home, but we don't know for sure. And some people have the theory that his home is a little bit farther up the hill. But it's very interesting that right next to the remains of this home are ancient steps from the time of Jesus. And everybody agrees these steps are from the time of Jesus. So it's—we believe those are the steps that Jesus climbed uh, going up to the house of Caiaphas. The remains of this house, with the church built over it today, uh, down below it are cisterns, And there's one cistern which has a hole that opens up uh, into, you know, the area of the house, and there are three Byzantine crosses uh, carved into uh, the edge of that opening to the cistern. And that kind of once again indicates tradition that the early Christians believed this was the pit uh, the prison in which Jesus was put overnight there in the home of Caiaphas. Uh, we don't know, but we know that he was kept in a prison, and it could have been um, very similar to that. And today you can go down into that cistern. It's been expanded a little so that more people can get into it. And uh, But you can just review the story of that last week and, and Jesus's sufferings as you're there in that pit. Now, the church over that pit is called uh, Gallicantu, which means in Latin, cocks crow. And you, if you know the story, uh, while Jesus is in the home of Caiaphas and being accused and being held, Peter is out in the courtyard. And Jesus had told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And, um, sure enough, Peter is out in the courtyard and they're saying, weren't you with him? No, no, no. I don't know him. Aren't you from Galilee? Aren't you one of his? No, no, no. I'm not them. And he denies three times knowing Jesus. And so this church commemorates that. And over their church, the, the spiral on the steeple, they have a, a rooster. Well, I have a funny story to tell you. When I was living in Jerusalem, my school was actually right in that area. Uh, Today, that area is called Mount Zion. And um, so I was living there in the school, just a hop, skip and a jump from Gallicantu. But I didn't know it was there. I didn't know about the surroundings And, but we were students and students come up with these wild ideas. I've told you about some before. Well, we got the great idea of climbing the Mount of Olives and watching the sun come up. So that means we had to get up very early. It was in the dark and walk that route around Mount Zion, through the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives to the top and watch the sun rise. And so as we are in the pitch black walking around Mount Zion right above where that church is, although I didn't know that church was there, what do I hear? A rooster crow. And I remember I got goosebumps. You could just picture that night in the dark of the night, what was going on in that area. Well, years later, I discover that the church built there is actually in commemoration of that. And of course, they have roosters on the ground, and I'm sure we must have woken one of them up. And so that's the rooster that we heard. But the point is this. In the middle of the night, a rooster is very loud, and especially in Jerusalem because the sound bounces off the hills. And so uh, some people will say, well, there there weren't chickens inside Jerusalem during those days. They were considered unclean, and so they wouldn't have been in Jerusalem. But my theory is this. Even if they were outside the walls of Jerusalem, I'm sure the Romans had plenty of chickens and roosters, uh, that crowing would have just bounced all over the mountains, and they would have heard it. Um, it's possible there's another translation. It wasn't really the rooster crowing. It was the temple crier. Uh, they would cry out. Um, I, most people say that it was a rooster. Okay, so now we have the trial of Jesus. And um, as I said, the trial is, is held mostly by the Sadducees. And the fact that they didn't get the whole Sanhedrin together, because there were some Pharisees on the Sanhedrin, And uh, they probably worried that the Pharisees would oppose what they were going to do to Jesus. And so this was just the Sadducees, just the top leadership um, meeting with this. They theologically didn't have a problem with killing Jesus because they did not believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in any judgment afterlife, like paying for your sins after you die. Everything's about the here and the now. So theologically, uh, they didn't have anything to lose. And politically, it would really help them with Rome because part of their job was to keep peace uh, with Rome and they needed to get rid of Jesus. They were really worried because of his miracles and the number of followers that he had. And they they said, we cannot arrest him during the Feast of Passover because it'll just be a riot so they wanted to do it quietly and they wanted to do it quickly and they wanted to do it before uh the feast so now they cannot execute jesus so uh they have to send him to rome only uh to the roman officials i should say only they can carry out an execution so they send him to pontius pilate another interesting little point here is that uh Many people would point out years back that there was no Pontius Pilate. There was no record of him anywhere. And so, you know, we can't believe the Bible, so uh, we don't believe there was a Pontius Pilate. And then in Caesarea on the coast, the town that uh, Herod the Great built and that large port I told you about, they found a stone there where uh something had been dedicated by Pontius Pilate. And do you know that that stone, in later years, because things are destroyed and then they're rebuilt and then destroyed, that stone had been used, I think, in a stairwell. So people had been walking on that stone for probably hundreds of years. That's the fate of the man uh, that executed Jesus, but he did um, exist. Now, but Pilate can't find anything that's actually guilty about Jesus, so he sends him to the governor, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas can't find anything that makes him guilty, so he sends him back to Pilate. So Pilate comes up with the idea, I'm going to offer amnesty for every Passover we do this. We offer amnesty to a person, so I'm going to give them their choice. Jesus or Barabbas, and he thinks that's going to be the end of the problem. But of course the crowd, which was mainly the Sadducees uh, and the ones supporting them, uh, cried out for uh, Barabbas to be let go and Jesus to be crucified. So Pilate has Jesus flogged um, by the Romans, And very, very interesting is that in Jerusalem, there is an area where it was one of the Roman, there were several of these palaces or praetorium as they were called. We don't know exactly which one uh, Jesus was sent to and where this took place, but one of those praetoriums had a courtyard called the pavement. And it, and it mentions that in the scripture, so we don't know if this is the pavement or not. But anyway, in this pavement, there is a what we would call a board game. Uh, it's engraved in the stone where the Roman soldiers would play this game, and it was called the king's game. And what they did with um, prisoners is that they would play this game, and they would like a accused them of being uh, a king and um, whoever lost the game had to put on the robe and they had to be uh, mocked about this. And so when it says that the soldiers put a robe on him and a crown of thorns and they mocked him, it really rings as though they might have been doing it as a part of this game, which was common in Roman areas where they crucified people. Um, So it all makes sense. You can go and see that game uh, in a floor, which is either a first century floor or a second century floor, but definitely it's where Romans played this game. So, of course, we know that Jesus is then uh, taken to Golgotha where he is crucified, and because of the scourging, he dies within a matter of hours. Usually crucifixion can take days. But he was very weak, and, um, and so he died before the, the Sabbath began, and they were able to bury him. And the person who came and gave him their, his tomb was Joseph of Arimathea, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, probably a Pharisee. And it says he was a disciple of Jesus. So that tells you Jesus had many followers— and they were at all levels and at all realms. Now, that wraps up the story for this week, but I hope that you got a feeling for the geography, for the setting, for how all of this makes perfect sense when you see the, the geography and you take into account these various factions and these various influences, and the story just comes alive. Now. We're going to leave it here, but next week, we're going to talk about Jesus's resurrection and uh, how He appeared for 40 Uh, days—He appeared to over 500 people, by the way—and then He ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. And we're going to wrap up this series talking about where was Golgotha? Where was the tomb of Jesus where He was resurrected? What is the significance of the Mount of Olives? And then what does all of this mean for you? So I'll see you back here next week. Now, in the meantime, I have a free resource for you. I've put together a map of Jerusalem where you can see where Bethany was and you can trace Jesus's route over the Mount of Olives as you go through the story. So just go to outofzionshow.com. And um, or go to the show notes down below and we'll give you a link to that resource, a free map of Jerusalem to help in your study of the last week of Jesus. All right, see you back here next time. God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.